Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mangal Masala, Pi Radio South Asian show. My name's Gerns. I'm here with Simran. Hi. So today's episode, me and Simran are going to be chatting all the latest news and trending topics. However, we are also going to be joined from Bangladesh by Halima to chat about a few important news topics as well. So stay tuned for that in the middle of today's episode. But let's kick off today's episode from where we left off last week. So last week, I introduced Simran to the world of Saltburn. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, Saltburn is a film that's currently out. I think it was released in November of 2023. And it is quite controversial, has a lot of disturbingly raunchy scenes, I'll say that much. And Simran read the Wikipedia plot whilst we were on air last week and was quite disturbed And then the next day, I get a text from her saying that she's actually watching it. So, thoughts? Carlos was right, guys. (laughs) Well, basically, everyone knows I don't really watch anything. So for me to actually go and watch this is a bit mental. Of all the things that that there are to watch. Especially when you know you've been told what to expect as well. So maybe I'm a masochist. Is that the word? Masochist? We'll go with that, yeah. Maybe it's just that. Um, okay, I really like Barry Keown as a person. Right. His character was so messed up. Yeah. Um, but it's actually like, if you take away the horrible scenes, it's actually a really good film. Do you not feel like it's like a bit predictable though? Yeah, and that's what I was texting Carlos saying. I was like, from, I think, I can't remember what point on was, but from a certain point onwards, you can basically predict the whole rest of the film. But... I don't feel like I was annoyed that it was predictable. Mm. I was just a bit like, oh my God, like, yeah, it's true. He really did that. Like, oh, I don't know, just the way. And then even though it was predictable, the way that the scenes are still so disturbing, they still get you. Like, Mm. you know, it's called the very final scene before the dance battle, the the, the little dance break. Dance battles. (laughs) He's not competing (laughs) with anyone. They're all gone. (laughs) Okay, spoiler alert. It's fine. If you haven't seen it by now, then yeah. Um, but like the final scene before that is mm. so messed up. What yeah. I think is one of the worst ones. I was speaking about that with my sister, like the whole, the throat element. was I just a bit like, uh, Yeah. Like, yeah. And I was issue like, there was, there's a really, really horrible, horrible scene that involves a grave. And I was texting Carlos like, that's not gonna happen. That's not surely not. Surely, surely that's not happening. That's not what's what I think is about to happen is not gonna happen, is it? And it happens. That was my favorite scene. Why? Why you? Because... Okay, you're making me out to be a weirdo <laughs> because I knew what Saltburn entailed and I went and watched it. Whereas you're now coming here and saying that that scene is your favorite scene. Well, also I did also know what to expect because I had watched the Wikipedia plot before watching it myself. I also didn't realize it came out. Not so long ago, but November. I yeah, it exactly. Out, like, really recently. I'd seen bits about it, but I don't, I think it's it picked up over Christmas because obviously everyone's got the time to actually watch it. But in terms of that, I think it's what I was saying last week in terms of that is just so messed up to the point that I was actually laughing because I was just like, this is just ridiculous. I'd rather that than like some of the other, like the bathtub and the sister scene that mm. is kind of a bit more kind of throw up sick kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this is just wrong. And I'm kind of, I feel like that's why it was, it was for me, it was a night, 
the concert was maybe worse than the other two, but the actual thing itself, like I was kind of like, yeah, this is just lol. The whole film wasn't a hard watch, but the scenes that were disturbing were incredibly hard to watch. Like they were just like, personally, the bathtub scene, I knew it was coming. So I didn't think, I, I just knew it was coming. So I was just like, okay, I know what to expect here. But everything from that point onwards, I just thought, like, this is sickening. Like, it was, like, even though I knew a couple, like, the premise of a couple of the scenes, they still shocked me. But any film that makes me think of the film Midsummer, I hate. Like, I just, yeah, I have really strong week. feelings about Midsummer. I have really strong feelings about that film. <laughs> it makes me feel so sick. Like, it's one of those films that I literally stay up late thinking about. I can't, and I can't get it out of my brain. That film actually altered my brain chemistry. Who was allowed to film that and produce that and write that? It was messed up. I feel like from what I've heard about Midsummer, this is like diet Midsummer, though. It's definitely diet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, obviously, I've not seen a lot of films, so there probably are worse films than Midsummer. In fact, I watched this thing on TikTok once of like the top like 30 most disgusting, like sickening films of all time. I don't even think Midsummer made the list or like it definitely wasn't even like top 15 or something. If Midsummer isn't like top 10 most depraved films of all time, people are seriously should not be given creative licenses to produce content. Oh, wait, can I just say something really Go quickly? On. I love Jacob Lordy. That's it. Uh, considering that you didn't really know who he was before, yeah. now you do. Okay. <laughs> now he's all over my TikTok. I thought he was like 19. He fits the part quite well. That's another thing that was quite impressive about this film is that so many of them actually aren't where they're meant to be from. So obviously Barry is actually... Oh yeah, great accent. Yeah, Barry is actually Irish. He kind of gave off this Merseyside accent, which I think some people have said wasn't that great. I think I would agree that it was a bit on and off. But then it was, was it Prescott? Prescott. Prescott, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I went to Liverpool to get my new passport on Monday and I drove past the sign for Prescott and I was like, triggers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think his accent was all right. But then obviously Jacob being Australian, so his good. British accent was good. But so also good. the sister, Venetia, hmm. she's actually Irish. You wouldn't have thought that. Oh, up. you would never have thought. And Farley is actually British. I can believe that. Yeah. But no, like, it's just cool, like, how literally the four main characters are all doing accents that aren't really what they're meant to be, yeah. But then, okay, last question. I know you said it was predictable. Did you predict the twist about the Oliver, like, what his real life was and all that? This I don't understand, because I thought you said you read the Wikipedia plot. Yeah, so I knew that was coming. Yeah, so so did I. I read the Wikipedia plot, so I knew it was coming. Why do you do that? When I read the Wikipedia plot, I wasn't planning on watching it. And then, like, obviously it came to New Year's and we were like, what are we going to do? And I was like, salt burn. Because all my friends had watched it as well. And I was like, I feel left out. I want to do it. Oh, my God. And you know you told me not to watch it with my mum. So basically I didn't because I heeded your advice. But it's two hours long, I think. It's a pretty long film. Um, And she came home just as someone was buried. Lovely. And so I turned it off, but yeah. then I was like, no, I need to see this. So then I was just like, mom, can you just cl- close your eyes? Like, so can you just go on your phone or something? And oh my gosh. It was happening. Because it's really long as well. Like, it's yeah. uncomfortably, <laughs> it's, un- I think even if I was alone, I would have been uncomfortable. Yeah, she was there. And I tell you what, the, the other uncomfortable scene is, is the final scene with the mum. It's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. So did you not have any comments about it? No, I think she was more annoyed that, well, I told her that like, 
I was watching a film, so like if she didn't, if she wanted to like go somewhere else for a little bit, she could because it's messed up. But then I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm here alone watching messed up films. Because <laughs> she was watching, because she saw what was going on. She was like, this is what you've been doing while I've been out the house. And I was like, <laughs> hmm, that doesn't look so great. And then she was annoyed because now I spoiled it. To be honest, I feel like you actually did her a favor. She doesn't need to watch it now. Yeah. Anyway, staying on the topic of amazing film and TV, Golden Globes, I think the main thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to these is how all the news that has come from the Golden Globes has been nothing to actually do with the ceremony and awards. The only thing I've seen is uh, Oppenheimer, like, winning loads. See, I haven't even seen that, like... Literally all I've seen is the celebrity gossip element of it. I just think that just speaks volumes about where the world is right now in terms of Mm. what people care about or what the majority of people are actually interested in. So obviously you've got the fact that the majority of social commentary that I've seen following the award ceremony has been based around this whole Selena Gomez, Taylor Swift, Kylie Jenner drama, which is not necessarily proven to even be true the thing that's gone viral it's this video of selena gomez whispering to taylor swift saying something and people have lip read it and thought that she is basically saying that she asked timothy chalamet for a photo earlier he's obviously going out with kylie jenner and kylie jenner was like to selena no and then she's apparently talking to taylor swift about this I just want to know, why were there so many cameras on them having their conversations? I don't understand. But I reckon, like, someone like Taylor Swift probably just has a camera on her for the evening. Well, this is the issue, right? Because I was speaking to Mayanka about it, because obviously Mayanka is a big Taylor Swift fan. And she was saying, like, it's kind of actually ridiculous how, like, obviously Taylor Swift, I'd say overall, like, she doesn't, she's not a bad person, definitely not. And... I think she obviously gets a lot of scrutiny and hate that is based on sexism in regards to like everyone commenting on her love life, whatever, regardless of the fact that she writes about it in her songs, she gets an unprecedented amount of scrutiny and attention on that. That being said, I just feel that she's not really able to actually exist anymore without people making something out of it. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it wasn't that she went out of her way and like made some speech that was like stirring the pot or something like yeah. that. All she what did was attend an awards ceremony. Mm. And the two clips that have gone viral of her are obviously that conversation with Selena Gomez, which we don't even know what was said. And there's the clip of her reacting to when the host made a joke about her. And it's just kind of like, that's the main thing that I've got from this yeah. awards ceremony. I think that's the main thing is like, why out of the fact that all these films were made over the last year and this, it was a normal award show and normally it would be like, well, this picture won this award. Da, 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 da. We, we're talking about like beef. My only thing, yeah, and it's not about Taylor Swift, it's about Selena Gomez. Why now for like the fourth time in a year is she now focusing on what's important and going off social media? It's giving year seven. <gasps> Drake co-signed Octavian like today, yesterday, a few days ago. He posted an Instagram story of an Octavian song saying something like that is a good song is getting him energized or something, right? I think it's been a while since the allegations came out. If you don't know, Octavian 
I think he got taken to court for it. Um, I don't think he got charged. I think recently it came out that he didn't get charged for it in the end. Like the charges got dropped, but for for domestic abuse basically against his um, ex girlfriend. And there's videos, the really horrible videos, hard to watch. But like there's literal video evidence, right? He got big cancelled and he's kind of started making music again. I've seen since the charges got dropped, he did like a freestyle about how hard it's been with this reputation. And then Drake has now posted one of his really old songs and saying that it was good or whatever. My thing is that I just think maybe Drake has no idea because he's not a very big artist. He's from the UK, like... The thing is you say that, but then Drake literally fancies the uk for need of a better word it's true it's true and then obviously octavian does like he, he is still quite a big artist i just don't think yeah. from like a drake's point of view like, maybe he, like, he, he, he won know. like bbc sound of you know they do every year like sound of that year i think he won that like in like the late 2010s there's enough uk artists at the same level of fame as octavian that he could have shouted out that don't have such a controversial history that haven't been cancelled this is the thing simran last week when we had the brief conversation about drake and you were like i hope drake listens to manga masala and i was like we i don't think we've spoken that great about him on the show before i don't think he wants to listen we actually like have said similar stuff about this like especially in light of his track with 21 savage where he basically alleged that megan the stallion was lying about what had happened even when there's obviously so much evidence and Tory Lanez has literally gone to jail over that incident. Mm. It is just Drake. He's 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 not got a good track record in in regards to doing what's right in terms of feminism. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I just think like with that much influencing power, you should have a PR team at the standby to do their due diligence on if you're going to be shouting out an artist because that could literally like accelerate someone's career tenfold just a one a simple instagram story by drake like look at like all those rappers that he can post or have a feature on an album and they go from like zero to 100 like on a teaser touchdown flipping smiley like all these random artists that people know about now because drake's interacted with them yeah and he will know that as well so so i think it's it's tough because then it's like where's the like credibility of an allegation when there's literal videos of what had happened where's the respect for like the victims in that circumstance and like why can okay fine charges were dropped but why were they dropped can you go and do something like that and then get away with it and still have a peaceful career afterwards like is that even fair like you say i just feel like he clearly either doesn't have a great pr team or he doesn't take any notice or doesn't have one he just does what he wants yeah because like that the octavian situation was one cultural event where i feel like cancel culture really worked everyone was so horrified by what happened genuinely people just stopped listening to him like he just he stopped being famous similar to how the black lives matter movement had a like a, a surge it because of lockdown that kind of element of octavian being cancelled it kind of had the same impact in the sense that everyone was at home like on lockdown Mm. sort of thing so everyone's attention was brought towards it and it actually that was all people were talking about sort of thing yeah but i just it was one instance where i thought like cancel culture worked like and rightly so he deserved to be cancelled and i don't think he should be deserved to be uncancelled now in our opinion in my opinion but at the end of the day i watched the video it's horrible but yeah i don't know we i don't know if that's a topic of for discussion like co-signing people that have had very controversial controversial is not even the right word to use but you know what i'm trying to say like controversial pasts and like been in the news for like 
crimes. Crimes. Anyway, sorry, that I got a bit off track there. Golden Globes. The other thing as well is just everyone's kind of been going in at the host, but... I obvi- yeah. I have a I have a bit of sympathy for them in the sense I that I, I think they had apparently they had ten days to come up with the jokes and wow. it was all like, yeah it was like a last minute thing and everything. That being said, I feel like if you're being thrown into this, you've got ten days. I really don't understand why he just didn't play it safe. True. Instead, he just went and took a load of risks and the worst one was obviously because i think the the taylor swift joke i don't think it was funny i also don't think it was that bad it was remind me what he said so he said something about oh here at the golden globes um oh this is the only like we have less camera shots of taylor swift than at the chiefs games because obviously her boyfriends are that which is ironic because obviously it then cut to taylor swift i don't think that was a bad joke i just think it was more just not funny you know what I mean? It was just kind of a bit... Yeah, but it definitely wasn't, in my opinion, offensive. I think there comes a point where, like, you have to just take it on the chin. And, yeah. And, like, for the courtesy of, like, the situation that you're in, give it a giggle, love. Like, it's all right. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I also just think, okay, fair enough. With 10 days, that's not a lot of time. Yeah, you would play it safe, but perhaps he just wanted to make a name for himself because, like, I'm, I'm assuming he's probably just quite famous locally in yeah. America and not really... If you intended to do that, then it's massively backfired because, like... What is the phrase? Any publicities? Well, this is the thing. Like, have you... Do you see what you said about Barbie? No. Right, let me get you the quote. So, this is the quote of what he said about Barbie. Oppenheimer is based on a 721-page Pulitzer Prize-winning book about the Manhattan Project, and Barbie is on a plastic doll with big boobies. The key moment in Barbie has to be where she goes from perfect beauty to bad breath, cellulite and flat feet, or what casting directors call character actor. And then no one laughed. And then he was like, oh, some I wrote, some other people wrote. Yeah. Why offset the responsibility of the joke when you got a bad reaction to it is my number one. Number two, everything I just said in support of him, I take it back. Number three, Bobby was a great film. Don't even, don't even, and like, don't objectify. Like, you literally just proved the point of the film by literally (laughs) saying like, what, um, with big boobs and like, you know, a film about a doll with big boobs. Like, the whole point of Barbie is that it's a film about a doll in in that body type with that whole shape but the problems that come with it for like a wider society and like the impressionable young children that had to play with those dolls and were in that culture and submersed in it right he just proved the whole point and that's really embarrassing because this is the thing like this is why when i was saying before like that is the main take that everything i just said that was nice about him there's screenshots of like everyone reacting to that joke and it's literally just like oh no everything i said about him <laughs> making a name for himself and any publicity is good to publicity i take it back <laughs> i'm over it i'm over it don't let that man on stage again uh, I, and also like i feel like the only people that are gonna laugh at something like that are the people that were hating barbie when it was being marketed the people that were like oh stupid film but a stupid doll no one gets it but like that you're you're the problem you're the reason that film's being made. And this is what I mean about playing it safe. If you've, it presumably, if you're in a position where you're going to be the host of the Golden Globes, you must have some kind of grasp about the 
the film industry and what's been going on. So surely you will have known all the conversations that have been going on in light of this film's release. Even if you haven't seen it, which I think he had said he has seen it as well, so I'm just confused. I, you're just It's just proving the point of, like, why that film touched so many millions of people's hearts and, like, meant so much to, like, men and women alike watching that and who grew up in the last five decades. Like, it just, that that's the, that's the point. That's the reason why that film meant so much. It's not a film about dolls with big boobs. It's it's just a film about the patriarchy and about, it's very bad taste. Simran's fresh from watching Barbie, by the way, in case you oh, can't I just, tell. Oh, I just watched Barbie, like, I don't know, what, a month ago or something. So good. For the first time, I was really late on the bandwagon. But the point of the last two conversations that we had here is celebrities need better PR teams. <laughs> I will do it. They need to pay for better people, to be honest. Because and I is, will do it. Yeah. I, I think I'd be great. Yeah, I can kind of imagine you being, like, a really, for need of a better word, like, PA in this. You know, not like someone that, like, goes and gets coffee, but someone that literally plans out whole days and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, one final thing that I wanted to say about the Golden Globes is I saw someone commented on Twitter just pointing out the disparity in the sense that last year at the Golden Globes, the Ukrainian president literally got a whole segment to speak about what's going on in Russia. Oh my God, yeah. And yet this year, obviously, in light of everything that's going on in Israel and Palestine, literally zilch. So This is another thing on Selena Gomez, yeah. How have you managed to make a genocide about you? You know when she was like, when people were like, can you speak up? And then she was like, I'm just taking a break from social media. <laughs> I just use mental. <laughs> CBA. Do you, what do you think about DJ Khaled? In general? <laughs> yeah, what do you think? That's, that's such a random segue. <laughs> no, right. It's, it's not right. Did you know that DJ Khaled is Palestinian? I did I did not. No. I don't. He, I actually don't is. think I ever questioned what I thought. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's just DJ, DJ Khaled. Khaled. He's his own yeah. ethnicity. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, he's full Palestinian. That's crazy. And he's and not said anything. Exactly. And people are kind of coming for him. And on the one hand, I'm kind of like... Actual Palestinian people are probably, we shouldn't be judging how they deal with everything that's going on. But on the other side of things, I'm kind of like, surely he's so far removed from it that he should be able to actually say something. I think obviously on one hand, you're grieving and you can choose to process that the way that you need to. And just because you have a public platform doesn't mean you need to be publicly donating and things like that you never know like what could be happening behind the scenes so you people shouldn't be so quick to be like well post however i do understand like when you have i'm guessing he definitely has millions of followers right um that's a platform that you can use your voice to spread awareness and kind of share out what's happening especially in a situation where the censorship is so rife and there's so many like blackouts and there's so much there's such a big trouble getting information out yeah of Gaza so I feel like yeah there's a responsibility but I don't know if it's like a yeah I don't know because then you have like the Hadid sisters that are very vocal and they're posting and stuff and uh the weekend's girlfriend I've got a name now Simi Simi I feel like we're not necessarily in the position to comment because we're not Palestinian I think it should be left to Palestinian people to actually comment on whether or not do Palestinians in Palestine right now care that DJ Khaled is not posting anything about it yeah they probably don't necessarily care specifically about who has the time i just think that they care about 
people in general continuing to obviously talk about it. Of yeah. course, which which is encouraging. We should not be stopping talking about it. And if you have a platform, we've said it in the past, we urge you to use it to spread awareness. And it's just, it's a tough one with social media because I feel like you can't, you never know what people are not posting and what they're doing in private. I remember like 10 years ago when DJ Khaled was like popping off on Snapchat. Remember those days? Oh my God. He's just someone that like shares so much unnecessarily that it's kind of ironic that now when your own people are literally having a genocide enacted against them, you're not even saying one thing. Guess how many followers you think DJ Khaled has on Instagram? It's definitely in the millions. I don't know, Guess 10 million? 37.8 million. I'm not surprised to be there. At time of recording. That's mental. Yeah, DJ Khaled, you could have made such a massive impact in your oh, album, so I really underestimated how famous I thought he was. Yeah, I think he's, he, he's fallen off a bit. I think, like now, yeah. but like back in the day, like five, ten years ago, I think he was like humor was different. What he was creating was very funny back then, yeah, and then his like humor stayed humor. very much the same yeah. on that like major key situation thing. And obviously, everyone's kind of evolved past that. But he does have a couple of quotables. I, I do be saying, "Let's go golfing" every now and again. <laughs> Sorry, we're mad at him. Yeah, we're mad at him. Right, now seems like a good time to switch over to Halima in Bangladesh. Stay tuned after this music break and we'll be chatting to her. Hey everyone, welcome to Mango Masala live from Bangladesh. I've missed the show. I hope you guys have missed me. I am leaving in a few days, which obviously I'm very sad about. I've had like a great time, firstly because I've got to escape the UK like weather. I've heard there's been like some winds and some storms and things like that. Anyways, my time in Bangladesh has been great. I've been spending time with family. We've been like exploring a little bit, traveling around a little bit. However, and this is what I'm here to talk about today. However, before we came, I didn't know that we were going to be here during Bangladesh's general election. And for those of you who are not privy to the media coverage that Bangladesh gets, we're predominantly known for, like, I'll say three things. Number one, floods. Number two, poverty. Number three, political instability. I'm not going to lie, like, one of them, political instability, that one has been very relevant to my trip because, as I say... If I had known that I was coming during the elections, I probably would have changed, like, my time a little bit. Because Bangladesh has had a general election and it has not been smooth. For those of you who aren't really, like, very privy to politics and governance in the global south, elections don't always run as smoothly as they do in, kind of, the west my guess so the election was on the 7th of january about a week ago basically to give you a little bit of context into bangladesh's like political system we have a prime minister sheikh hasina who is the daughter of sheikh mujibur who is the founding father basically of bangladesh and she is the leader of the awami league party it's largely a two-party system so it's the awami league and uh, the bnp the bangladesh nationalist party and sheikh hasina our current prime minister and the sitting kind of political party at the minute in bangladesh is awami league however there have been many, 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 many accusations and charges of like corruption against Sheikh Hasina and the Bangladeshi government at large. 
and they're founded i'm not gonna lie they're very accurate they're very fair the government is actually very corrupt it was really interesting for me to be in the country during the general election actually because you really got to see it with your own eyes like i've always heard stories from family members and stuff about you know election time and the kind of electoral system in bangladesh but to kind of be here and to really see it was ridiculous so to give you a bit of an idea of how uh, shambolic and how much of a sham, not just the elections itself, but just the general kind of government of Bangladesh is. The main opposition party, BNP, actually boycotted the election. Like, that's how much of a sham election this was. The opposition party boycotted the elections. So supposedly at the end of 2024, the UK is going to have their general election. And it would be the equivalent of the Labour Party. So the opposition party, the Labour Party boycotting the election. That's what's going on in Bangladesh. The main opposition party, and not just the main opposition party, but I think it was like 63 other political parties had all boycotted the election because they said that it was a sham election, that it was fixed, that Sheikh Hasina and the Iwami League were going to win anyway. And like, I mean, they're right. They're absolutely right. So since October, obviously the election was in January, but since October, there have been like political violence and like riots, basically. So this is the reason actually why I said that if I knew, if I knew beforehand that the election was going to be during my visit that I probably would have changed my dates because whenever there's any kind of okay Bangladeshis first of all they love to riot Bangladeshis love to protest and you know what good for them like I've spoken plenty of times before about how I believe that rioting is a very important act of like political protest and um you know political expression and engagement even it makes sense for me to be Bangladeshi and to think like that. So there have been like riots um since October. Some clashes against the police and civilians had gotten violent. There'd been a number of casualties. I want to say like 12 maybe up until the point of the election. I think a few days before the election, it had really started to... Because basically the, the issue is that the BMP supporters or non-Awami League supporters are basically rioting and protesting against this, what they call the sham election. People were very afraid because they thought... That everyone knew that the Awami League was going to win and people were very afraid that the BMP supporters were going to then protest and not accept the election outcome, basically. There was also a government crackdown on certain individuals so dr muhammad yunus who is i believe a nobel prize winner like a very very important figure in bangladeshi like economics and politics he was arrested because he spoke out against the government so that's kind of really what the climate was leading up to the election which is obviously very very serious i however did get more of a comical experience so i was in the village where the political clashes wasn't as severe i was kind of safe a little bit because in my town where i'm from and where i've been staying there was some clashes there was some shootings and then in this in the main city in the division that I'm from like a train got set on fire there was like four casualties which is obviously really really serious and like very bad um but in the village we were relatively safe and my uncle pulled me along with him to be like hey just come and see like what it's like um and I went with him and I got to the polling station guys as I'm approaching the polling station tell me why like 
there's people out selling food, there's people out selling balloons, there's people coming, like, dressed up in saris, like, these people had turned it into a fairground, which I'm not gonna lie, like, I I was kind of feeling, I feel like if they had that kind of culture in the UK, maybe it would increase voter turnout. However, it was not the case for Bangladesh because I then got to the polling station and it was like almost empty and the poll clerk basically said that I could vote. He was like, if you put on a burqa and you came back, you could vote. He was like, if you went into the polling station and you just said that your name is Aisha, you could vote. Like genuinely, I'm not even lying. Like if I actually wanted to, I could have voted. Like I could have found some way and it wouldn't have been difficult either. It wouldn't have been like a long convoluted way. Like that's how little due diligence they do over here to determine the future of the country. At the end of it all, Sheikh Hasina did win the election. The Awami League did win and kind of, as I say, like I got like a really funny kind of version of things. So, you know what? We're also hearing so many stories about how... um how ridiculous the electoral system is like i heard a story about people going to vote and then the poll clerks being like oh there's no paper come back tomorrow on the day of the election uh, my cousin told me a story about her teacher who um went to vote and mysteriously hid his vote had already been casted um my auntie in the last election she voted four times in one election so that just kind of gives you an idea of how shambolic this system is which kind of then gives you an idea of how much of a sham this election actually was because Sheikh Hasina did end up winning the election the Awami League did end up winning the election despite record low turnout which is very interesting because when you then look at the official breakdown of voters that the government were giving we were seeing record high voting so like there were some polling stations where they were saying that there was a hundred percent turnout and that like Sheikh Hasina and the Wami League got like 99 percent of the vote there was some you know, polling stations where they were showing there was like a 98% turnout and Sheikh Kassin and Awami Lee got like 100% of the vote, which is like, I don't know any country in the world that has that high voting turnout, definitely not in Bangladesh, especially this time around. So that is kind of how corrupt the the system is which as i say like we can laugh about it because obviously like i say firsthand i've been hearing some really funny and comical stories and it's just a little bit ridiculous and absurd and that's why you laugh but then you know when you actually look at the reality of the situation it's very dire and it's actually extremely depressing especially like having had certain conversations with my family members this time around like my grandma for example she cannot stand shake casino and i don't blame her like I think Bangladesh is in a like really kind of weird, interesting, however you want to put it, position where we have what is referred to as a tiger economy. So we've shown kind of like pretty impressive economic growth. And yet when you're here in the country and you kind of look at the disparity of wealth, it's not as progressive as the kind of 
GDP figures might make you believe. Everyone, obviously, kind of who listens to the show knows what my own opinions about wealth stratification are. But I don't think that we could consider the country as having progressed economically or having grown economically when what has also grown is the wealth gap you know, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. The situation is extremely bad. Like, poverty is not, there's not slowing down in the country um, to the point where even every day people who, who aren't on the streets, who aren't necessarily suffering from poverty are kind of really on the, finding themselves on the cusp of it. There is, as there is in the UK, a huge cost of living crisis. The standard of living is absolutely terrible. We are kind of dependent on certain countries that I will not name on air because I know better now after the last time I spoke about Bangladesh but we are a little bit too dependent on aid from certain countries that we should essentially be self-sufficient so the kind of figures on and the picture that having a tiger economy paints isn't you know necessarily consistent with the reality on the ground and it really creates a feeling of despair in the everyday Bangladeshi citizen because it's kind of like if you cannot use your electoral system to get yourself out of a difficult political situation then what can you do like what hope is there and that's why people riot honestly that's why people protest that's why people riot that's why they're out on the streets and they're burning everything down and I don't blame them for it anyways yeah that's all for my time in Bangladesh guys hope you're all missing me so moving on to the next segment everybody uh, welcome by the way it's still the Halima show today I just want to touch very briefly on um, the updates on what's going on in Palestine I think the last conversation that I had was in the was mid-December about maybe about a month ago where there'd been a temporary ceasefire that Israel didn't actually adhere to and obviously since then they have continued with an absolute kind of their relentless bombing a lot of disheartening very disillusioning news has just continued to come out and out and out and we are now like three months into this however there has been a kind of very very tiny very small very tentative glimmer of hope in all of this in that South Africa had recently made the accusation of genocidal intent against the state of Israel and in turn had taken them to the International Court of Justice at The Hague and yesterday was the first hearing where we heard South Africa's case against Israel basically and for those who are listening to this and who are not aware of what has been going on or um, who have not read South Africa's 82 page document essentially detailing um, their case against kind of Israel's genocidal intent I would absolutely recommend that you go and do that because it is I mean if you listen to the show I'm assuming you stand with the side of Palestinian liberation in this, in which case, like, you have been seeing and following the absolute kind of destruction and decimation of the Gaza Strip by the state of Israel over the course of three months. However, to have it all put together on an 82-page document in that way is insane and at at this point I have to make an interjection to absolutely applaud the South African lawyers and everyone from any every intern to the highest kind of lawyer on the case that has been involved in this 
I really, really, really must applaud them for what is an absolute, like, rigorous and thorough case put forward because they were so thorough in their compilation of evidence, which is actually kind of really what I want to talk about a little here. As I say, we've been following this news for about three months, so to see it all compiled is very... It's a weird feeling because it's things that you already know, but it kind of... I think it's one of those things that will always strike you anew, um, the, the kind of violence of of genocide, the violence of apartheid and settler colonialism at the hands of the Israeli state is so it's so kind of like harrowing that no matter how privy you have been to it for how long, to see it put down in that way, it will always, always, always strike you. And it certainly did for me. I had kind of like one eye reading the commentary and kind of watching clips of it the whole time. And as I say, to follow this for three months and then see everything presented in kind of one very, very succinct case was it was really strange, um, but also kind of really refreshing the points that the South African team were putting forward because it's it, they really took it back to basics and it was like the most basic things. Were, and it was one thing that really struck me was that, well, they kept saying that, you know, this is the first time in the history of the world that we have seen a genocide be broadcast in this way, which is something that we have spoken about a lot on this show. And, and it's absolutely true. And one thing that they said that really struck me is that, the a lot of the evidence that they had gotten were from were quotes from Israeli statespeople, which again, like if you go back and listen to any of our you know episodes on Palestine, we speak so much about how kind of flabbergasting it is that so much of the kind of vitriol was coming from actual state Israeli statespeople, and South Africa did not miss out on this. They really brought it to light and said that look, these are actual statespeople saying these things. It's not rhetoric it's not hyperbole it's policy making you know what we're watching is policy making and it shows a very very clear genocidal intent and if it it's not something that we're supposed to decipher and rationalize it's very clear if they didn't mean what they were saying they would not have said it and i repeat from states people these are the people that are making the decisions on what the idf do and do not do you know, and if they're coming forward, if the actual president and the prime minister of Israel is coming forward to declare genocidal intent, it cannot get any more like clear cut than that. I'm so glad that they, that, you know, that they really focused on that point, because I think that when you become so kind of convoluted with kind of such intricate politics that has surrounded this case, you sometimes really kind of miss the basics of it. I also separately wanted to say that, obviously, we have spoken before on the show that Palestine is not the kind of only genocide that is currently ongoing. We have spoken about Sudan, we've spoken about Congo, and uh, we have also separately, um, a while back, spoken about the Rohingya refugees and the Rohingya victims of genocide at the hands of um, the state of Myanmar. And I want to bring this to light because I want to point out the fact that the case that we've seen now, which a lot of people already are describing as historic, the precedent for this, the precedent for South Africa as a nation state to bring Israel as a nation state to The Hague was set by the Gambia who took Myanmar to The Hague um, on behalf of the Rohingya refugees, which I, I think I've spoken about it before on the show where I, where I said personally how much that meant to me and like how kind of moved I was by that. So I kind of just want to say, like, obviously hats off to South Africa always, but also like from me personally, a special nod to 
Gambia for doing what they did and for setting the precedent they did because it was the first time that a nation state took another nation state to the Hague for genocide. Yeah, like I say, I will always, always, always have like the utmost respect for Gambia for doing that and also a reminder that this is still an ongoing kind of um, genocide for the Rohingyas as well. And so it becomes increasingly important, you know, that the UN give the right ruling in this case i think that we have seen such disappointment from the un in this entire kind of war you know this genocide and this conflict in whatever you want to call it we have been so disappointed by the un they have not been intervening when they needed to they have let israel kind of break every international law with complete impunity they have not given sanctions they have not kind of allowed aid when they've needed to they've just been just completely in my opinion just completely useless and obviously the icj is the kind of utmost court of law and order in in the world and i think that they have one unique opportunity and only one opportunity to really really demonstrate and maintain that they are fit for purpose that they do exactly what they say which is hold nation states to a standard of international law and order it will set a very very much needed precedent for other countries in the world that are facing similar conflicts or interconnected conflicts so as i'm filming this it is actually israel's defense and it's just nonsense i'm gonna say in my opinion from what i've seen so far it's nonsense and i really hope that the un make the right decision but we shall see south africa's lawyers were succinct they evoked great compassion you know they were so evocative they were rigorous they were thorough they referred to international law they were detailed israel's lawyers have come on and been like oh someone's messed up my papers and if that doesn't tell you and they've, and they've already claimed by the way they've already made claims that south africa is the legal arm of Hamas and that they they have a well-documented affiliation with Hamas apparently this is news to me I've seen some people that I've got like a, a bingo card out tonight to see what uh, kind of key talking points that Israel will hit and of course we knew that they were going to accuse South Africa of being affiliated with Hamas but anyways as I say I really hope that the UN do make the right decision I really don't know I really really don't know what they will vote but um fingers crossed and that rounds up my little solo segment bye guys so staying on the topic of palestine in general obviously we're however many days i think we're nearly 100 days in now still no sign of a ceasefire which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it but the thing that i want to talk about this week is an anti-boycott bill that is trying to be brought in in the uk i don't know if you heard about this simran no so it first got introduced into Parliament by Michael Gove's department last summer. And basically, it's the Economic Activity of Public Bodies, brackets, Overseas Matters Bill. One of the things that it's trying to do is make it unlawful for public bodies to reflect ethical and human rights issues in procurement and investment decisions. Wow. So basically, it's trying to make it unlawful for companies to take part in boycotts in regards to human rights issues basically making sure that companies are apolitical in all business decisions pretty much yes but i feel like that wouldn't be their kind of defense of it would be that we're not saying that you need to Mm. um oppress these people we're saying that you need to remain apolitical but i would disagree with that argument anyway but even if you were to go down this whole apolitical route the bill specifically shields israel from ever being put 
on a list of countries to which this law in the future may not apply. Oh. And the fact that this is being passed in the current climate as well, or attempted to be passed in the current climate, it basically, if it comes into power, will grant Israel immunity. Obviously, at this time when, I mean, I wouldn't think I need to say because we're on the radio, in our opinion, they're literally enacting a genocide against the Palestinian people. It's not Mm, great. The UK. Yeah. Rewinding back a bit, obviously this whole apolitical argument, I, I don't know, but I just feel like it, you sh- those kind of restrictions should not be put in place. Like, companies should be able yeah. to stand with, like, people for the greater good where necessary. They should Surely be that's able a to- form of censorship. Like, yeah. from a very, very structural level, like, from to, pro- to prevent a big corporation from taking a political stance or to enact a boycott against any other company or corporation or anything like that right or country and then even the concept of having a list of immune countries forget who's on them even that the the like existence of that list in the first place surely there's something really twisted about that as a concept like this is episode 592 of the uk's black mirror do you know what i mean (laughs) Again, I don't know what to do because I'll tell people now, like, if you go online, you can find resources that you Mm. can write to your MP and try and get them to stand for what you believe in in regards to whether this bill gets passed or not. But from my own experience, like, every time I tell my MP to do something or request them to please take a stand, they just reply back saying no. In our um, episode, the last episode we did with Martin, founder of Sludge Mag, he said something that really, I think about it, I genuinely think I must think about it once a week, yeah. When he says, like, this country is basically in ruins, in his opinion, the roads are broken, the roads have got potholes, the school systems are broken, you call your GP, you can't get an appointment for three months, like, teachers aren't getting paid enough, doctors aren't getting paid enough, there's 11-hour waits in waiting rooms for A&E, the housing crisis, like, renting, oh my God, the cost of living. Oh my God, uni. I was thinking about this, yeah. Why hasn't there been a full-scale investigation as to why we still got charged tuition during COVID? Someone made a TikTok about how they logged into their student finance England and saw how much they had left to pay. And I'm not doing it. Well. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't want to look. I don't want to look. I do not want to look. Right? I'm going to look, but I don't want to. And I know as soon as I see it, I'm going to get so mad. And I've been thinking about it because I'm like, someone, why did... COVID happened in March of my second year, yeah, so I had a year and a half-ish of uni left. I was fully online. They gave us recorded lectures from the year before, so, like, not even new content all the time was being made for us. And I never had face-to-face contact. I stopped seeing my course mates. Obviously, I was home for a lot of it because we, we didn't know what was going on for the first half of lockdown and all that. And my exams were online and we never saw no compensation whatsoever. Not even a reduction. Not even a reduction. I mean, let's not get into this. We could go on forever about how expensive everything is. Oh my God. You know, like I've noticed this from when I started working, which was only 14 months ago. Yeah. The difference that my paycheck, how much it used to stretch from then to now is mad. I hated you. Bad vibes well, I mean, moving on to maybe semi-positive stuff. Have you heard about this um, post office scandal? The Tom Bates and the yeah. post office. My mum yeah. explained this to me. 
just to like summarize it, basically, I think it was some point in the last 20 years, faulty computer software across post offices in the UK resulted in 230 post office workers being imprisoned on false charges of theft and fraud. Thousands of others were accused of similar misdeeds. And it's actually following the airing of this four-part miniseries that kind of dramatizes this scandal. The case in general has received a new level of attention, leading to, first of all, former post office chief executive Paula Venels returning their CBE with immediate effect. And also Rishi Sunak has now said that he will promise that the 700-plus postal workers who were prosecuted wrongly for this will get the redress that they deserve now whether or not we'll actually see that is whatever but i think it's really interesting the fact that this dramatization of a real life thing has actually led to people getting the compensation supposedly that they deserve it's almost like the way bigger scale of like when a tiktok cold case account like actually like cracks a case or like it brings awareness to something that more people get like interested in and then things get reopened and things get revisited. It's kind of a bit like a really big scale version of that. And also I heard that the post office and I want to say it's Fujitsu, Vodafone, Fujitsu. It's like a, the company that kind of like produced the software that had the malfunction. Right. There was a lot of like hush money and like a lot of things that were done to keep it quiet because they didn't want to admit that their software malfunctioned and this is all happening and it all went wrong. And that's why my understanding of it anyway. And then also that a significant proportion of the victims were like South Asian men as well because obviously they work. There's quite a common thing like to work in a post office and stuff like that. So yeah, it's very interesting, but very happy that people are going to get the payouts. I really hope they get the payouts that they deserve. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't take time back, so the least they can do is be financially compensated. It's so sad when you see stuff like, oh, man in America, it's always America, man in America wrongfully imprisoned for 22 years gets, like, 900k or something. like. Yeah, it's, like, it's never... Yeah. Have you seen the um, TV series, I think it's on Netflix, called When They See Us? No. It's based on the... Um, originally called the Central Park Five, now called the Exonerated Five. Yeah, basically these five black teenagers that were wrongfully accused of raping and Mm. abusing a white female jogger in Central Park in the 90s. They were basically tricked by the police into accusing each other and then all received sentences for it, went to jail for a number of years, Um, One of them, sadly, was on the brink of the minor age, and so he actually ended up spending a lot of time in not a youth facility, but an actual prison, which severely has messed him up as well. You can see that he's, like, been really affected by it. It was actually because he then met the actual person who had committed the crime in prison that that person came forward and admitted that they they had done it. And then they were all exonerated and they received payouts and whatever. But at the same time, they've they spent like 15, 20 years of their lives completely taken away from them, like from from literally their youth. Crazy. Yeah. And that's why they want to be called the Exonerated Five now rather than mm. Central Park Five because they want to be focused on the fact that they're innocent and they're free and stuff. But yeah, I've forgotten what the point is of this. But I think it, my point of like that payouts was that, for like yeah, it's like good in the sense that obviously you're set for life, but then it's like, even when you're set for life, 
are you really going to get that time back through? I was like, yeah, especially yeah. when they're like, if you're in your 20s or something, you're never going to get those years back at any age, but you know what I mean? Like, you're never going to get those like quite formative yeah. years back. Who, like how they decide the payout, I obviously don't know, but it's just crazy. But I feel like, I feel like I've seen so many instances where it's just been like a, even you would just consider it a ridiculously low number. Like, I don't think you can put a number on years of a person's life, but the numbers yeah. that some people get are just uh, laughable. But I hope that the victims of this post office thing are satisfied because that's not fair. Yeah. And it was another thing that about a significant amount of them being like from South Asian heritage, that the their lack of like English skills basically was a big, it was basically the easy way to just convict them and keep the whole thing very quiet because the victims didn't even have a voice to speak up in, in a country that wasn't even like the country that was foreign to them in the first place. Um, which reminds me of that Rotti experiment. Oh yeah, yeah. That's mad. And again, the fact that like, it took me a second to think about that because that was kind of like, I feel like it kind of had a resurgence in the news last summer mm. and then suddenly just faded away again. It's like, are we ever going to see any kind of proper compensation for that? It's crazy. Yeah. You said they're supposed to be happier. At least people... Awareness has been Yeah, brought. right. Completely light topic briefly now. Ritik Roshan is 50. He's in that new film, isn't he? I don't know, but I just couldn't believe that he's 50. Because of in the films, he's always kind of like um, Sharrat Khan's like younger person. Yeah. I kind of saw him as a different generation, but in reality, they're only a couple of years apart. And I also think he doesn't look 50 at all. Like, he's fully ripped and everything. He looks amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Happy birthday. <laughs> HBD Rithik Washington. Have a good and one. Also, love Manga Masala. Also on this week's birthday list, Diljit Dasanj. Happy birthday, Diljit. <laughs> If you're listening, had <laughs> you texted in saying, "Can we play um, Feel My Love?" We'll give it a spin for you in a bit. <laughs> Final thing, and it's involving one of your faves. Have you seen what's been going on with Skepta over the past couple of days? So, for those that don't know, Skepta has been building up to his new release which is titled gas me up diligent i think yesterday which was the 9th of jan he teased the artwork for it it caused a lot of controversy right because obviously the title of this song is gas me up and the artwork for it featured a person with their hair shaved off like skinhead with a tattoo on their head that said gas me up Skepta has come out since then and said that this whole project that he's doing is kind of focusing on 1980s skinhead culture, that kind of vibe, which makes sense. Like, it makes sense why you would kind of use that artwork if that's what you're going for, whatever. However, I do feel like, especially in the current climate, and regardless, I feel like if you had... I think it's the it's the name of the song. I just feel like Skepta might be ignorant. And we've seen, like, in the past when he was dating Naomi Campbell and they did that magazine interview and he was like, oh, I don't do politics, whatever. I was just like, whatever. He might be ignorant, but he's not stupid. I just feel like you should know not to release a song called Gas Me Up and then the artwork be what very much looks like Holocaust victims. 
like come on like everyone sees it. that and like that's immediately what like and i see he he uploaded a picture of his mood board and there's so many other pictures that probably would have like maybe not given off that same I was kind gonna of say, vibe when i saw it i did think like get rid of the writing on, on the head right but like the whole rest of it it didn't have to be portrayed like that if you wanted to portray skinhead football culture in the 80s and like the racism that kind of was alongside that there was definitely other imagery that could have been used with that writing if you wanted to because everyone knows like gas me up refers to just like getting gassed getting excited yeah. no and know? obviously we we know that we know like, that. a lot of people know that but at the same time it's, regardless of that like yeah, i just think yeah, it's yeah, 100%. a bit silly and i just think especially right now yeah. is a tough time and like it's another massive PR oversight. Yeah, yeah. Who's who? Who okayed that? Like, like I don't I, understand. It's one of those things, and we've spoken about this in, with other situations in the past, where these things we know have to go through multiple levels of approval before they get released to the public, right? Yeah. Why did no one stop and say, "Hang on a minute, there has to be a better picture we can use"? Yeah, because it's not even like, um, for example, with. I think the last incident that comes to mind for this is Lizzo last year or the year before released a song that used the S word ableist slur in it. However, whilst that is an ableist slur, it has also been like co-opted and become a part of a lot of American people's vernacular. So whilst it's still an ableist slur, you can understand how that came about maybe slightly and she took accountability for that even though i still would have argued that someone should have probably stepped and be like no Mm. that's maybe a bit more you can understand how that slipped through but this like come on like how did no one see this again it's like the third thing in one episode that is just a ridiculous pr oversight yeah this is going to be the title celebrities need better (laughs) pr (laughs) i will do it yeah. I'm brave enough. I volunteer as tribute. Yeah, you can be. You actually like um, Skepta as well. Like, oh, God, yeah, funny. yeah. I I don't like the song. I'm not gonna lie. Or like the, no. the what I've seen. I've just seen it on TikTok. I could just scroll past it, honestly. No. Um, but silly, 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 silly. Well, just I think to give credit to Skepta, he has at least like apologized in a sense i'm not gonna lie the apology was giving a little bit like i'm sorry you're offended vibes though i don't yeah i don't like when celebrities apologize and it's like it has been misconstrued and taken offensively by certain people we have rem- we have since removed it like yeah that, it, there wasn't it was not a like i am so sorry i'm taking accountability i'm holding my hands up and i profusely apologize to the people that have been affected by this and are upset by this i you know i would never want to do that to my fans that's how i would handle it personally put that on my cv Mm -hmm. yeah it it did it did give me like um sorry you're hurt i'm sorry that you feel that way yeah because i i don't know what happened now he's taken the song down or he's taken just the he's just changed the artwork so what he's put out yesterday on Twitter, when everything kicked off, he said, I've been waiting to drop Gas Me Up Diligence since teasing it April last year. Worked hard on getting the artwork right for my album rollout, which is about my parents coming to the UK in the 80s skinhead football culture, and it has been taken offensively by many, and I can promise you that that was definitely not our plan, so I have removed it, and I vow to be more mindful going forward. I think that that first statement, that, I thought yeah. was up, but then today... He's come out with the whole mood board post and said on on the 11th, he said, I can honestly see how my single artwork without context can be deemed offensive. 
especially in a time like this. But again, that was not my intention. But after some thought, I don't feel like I could continue being the artist you all know and love if my art is policed. I have to quit if I can't express my art as I see it. So to help with context, here are some pictures from our mood board for the 1980s UK story for my album Knife and Fork. Gas Me Up, Diligent will be out January the 26th as planned. Oh, that's great promo for the song, first of all. Second of all, um, you can't threaten the fan base with you quitting the music industry, especially when you know that it's going to upset a lot of people because a lot of people love you and you've got such a big like social standing in the scene yeah if skepta just quits you know how do you know how much like negativity that will incite towards the people that are genuinely offended over this artwork right who are offended for valid reasons can i just say i can just see it now the instagram comments of like oh you this that people just saying probably very offensive things towards people and just saying that it's a result of like people being too sensitive and stuff like that which i don't think is a fair assumption to make i've literally seen like today like on like shade and stuff like that like it's the majority of comments like the ones that i saw literally all of them are just going on about like he shouldn't have to do this like blah 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 people are being too sensitive like like you can't get out of this by threatening your retirement do you get what i'm saying yeah. But that's not a way, that's not that's not your get out of jail free card is by like, then people are going to be like, oh no, we still want Skepta music, so we're going to let him do what he wants, we're not going to police this thing. You can't release artwork that could be offensive or misconstrued as offensive, especially something of this nature, at a time like this, and then while apologising and holding your hands up and admitting that you don't want to offend people, which is the right thing to do, go on, make it about your creative license being policed and then therefore if it is going to be policed you will you just will not be contributing to the scene anymore also i think there's a difference as well between your creative license being policed and just listening to your consumers because at the end of the day there's a difference between your art being censored restricted and just listen and engaging with the people because you wouldn't be anywhere without the people that are consuming your art in the exactly. first place so if they're telling you or even if a small percentage of them are telling you that this makes them feel uncomfortable or that this is why and you've even admitted that you're like yeah i can see how that might be the case i don't think the correct response is like if this continues like this then i don't think i could be like the artist you all know and love but it's like well you're, you're not going to be the artist that people know and love if you just keep putting stuff out that people are going to be considered to be offensive anyway yeah. so and this isn't even like uh, kind of making it a bit broader than this one skeptic situation i think it's not the first time we've seen like celebrities make the issues bigger than what they've done and then kind of redirecting it back at their fan base and kind of, for lack of a better phrase, almost throwing their toys out of the pram in that sense. Like, look at, like, Doja Cat. Mm. Basically saying, like, well, it's you guys' problem. You just shouldn't be a fan of mine then. It's a, it's a weird thing that's come up in the last couple of years of, like, that kind of... I don't know if entitlement is the right word, but it's sort of, like, you need to pay your graces back to people that made you famous in the first place and have that kind of respect. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. Yeah, 100%. It's just weird that this is happening this week as well because there's been a similar kind of argument going on with him, Lil Nas X, who's oh saying God. that he's coming back. He's... Did he go? <laughs> Where did he go? Anyway, he's coming back this Friday 
and his new single is called J Christ. And he released artwork promoting it, which all revolves around him basically on a crucifix sort of thing and him enacting as Jesus. His main argument that he has been putting out in response to the backlash, the inevitable backlash that has come back since putting out these pictures, is that people use religion and that sort of thing as a way to express that art in a number of times he technically has not put out anything necessarily offensive yet in the terms of he's not showing himself as jesus doing a sort of sinful act or anything he's literally just his he's saying that his new single is referencing um jesus as a comeback sort of thing that's 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 the idea behind it Surely there were better figures you could have referenced, like a basketball player or like a sports person of some sorts for a comeback. This is the thing. So I just feel like regardless of whether or not his intentions are correct, I just feel like religion, just just leave it alone. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, in a weird way, I feel like it's uncool to be religious these days. And like people just need to respect the fact that some people are religious and that's okay that the sanctity of religion still needs to be respected and a lot of people like in in their lot of people's estimations like it's not uncool it's just the way that someone wants to live their life and believe like it's okay it's just a different opinion to yours and i think it's become more mainstream now to be not religious than religious and i mean like religious in sense of like actively really really being religious and like dedicating your life to an extent to to a religion and like i just went through some of the comments on that post and so many of the comments are basically saying like stop crying like stop get over this and like people and i think we spoke about this last week about like um people are mothering him Mm. like people someone someone commented something along the lines of like you're about to annoy so many people with this and i love that for you yeah this is the thing like i think it's one thing to obviously feel liberated and to a lot of people particularly in the um, lgbtq plus um community a lot of them come from quite strict religious backgrounds and when they're able to fully become themselves because a lot of the time they haven't been able to these people obviously have feelings of resentment towards these particular communities because they've had their own negative experiences with them but i just feel like being able to be yourself should not mean that you then go and attack um, a particular Mm. community I think where there's points to be made, for example, if someone was wanting to make a very valid point about problems with the Catholic Church and um, child abuse, we've seen a number of cases where that has been, it is a problem. If someone wants to make a point about that based on their own experiences or based about an injustice that's happened, fair enough. But I just feel like, unless it's absolutely necessary, I just think it should be avoided, personally. Like, find something else to do the shock factor i mean in a way it's kind of clever like if it was just a line that was like yeah um um jesus had the greatest comeback yeah. like it's kind of that's yeah it's that's kind of clever I but the like whole people like have done religious imagery in videos and sometimes it goes down well sometimes it yeah. doesn't you know well, that's the point that a lot of people were making like for example i think the most famous example is madonna in the like a prayer video she's literally mm. like saying crosses on fire and stuff and yet everyone loves that but just because it's gone down in history as being iconic doesn't mean that it's right. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Anyway, thank you so much to everyone that has tuned in this week. We will be back same time next week here on Pi Radio, 2 to 4 p.m. Until then, bye-bye. Bye.